Studies in John's Gospel, this is part 20, and I've entitled it, That All May Honor the Son Just As They Honor the Father. Is that right? The text is John 5, 15 to 29. It's a longer text, which is a bit challenging for a church because you can read it on the screen. But you know what happens after you read a longer passage? Your mind is reading along with the words, and then a little bit later on, the words take over and the mind is... So stay engaged with the whole text. Think about as we read. John 5, 15 to 29. The man went away. This is the man who was lame. Jesus healed him. Take up your bed and walk, that man. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these works on the Sabbath. We studied that before and went away on holidays. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Ten words. Look at 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And the Father loves the Son and shows them all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, this is interesting, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may, here's where we get the title, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. In fact, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You can't Talk about loving God and not give proper place to Jesus. That's what that text says. 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has, look at, given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming, think about this, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Do you see that in the Bible? All who are in the tombs, that's the body, are going to hear his voice and they're going to come out. I, I can't get my head around that. Those who have done good to a resurrection of life, those who have done evil to a resurrection of judgment. 
What a text. What a massive text. There are only certain convictions in the Christian life that will bring hostility in today's culture. No one will reject your Christian worldview for your proclamation that we should learn to forgive our enemies. No one has any trouble with that until they have to forgive an enemy. But generally, nobody has any trouble with that. You'll be applauded if you encourage those who hear you to do unto others as they have had done to them. I mean, they don't always live like that, but they like that principle. People are happy to have you recite Jesus' words about his going to prepare a place for them. Christian charity is universally admired and extolled as hospitals and schools and orphan care are extended in Jesus' name all over the globe like no other faith has ever done. For our watching world outside, this is what Christianity is. This is what it should be. There's a growing band of more progressive evangelicals, at least in their own minds, red-letter Christians, who can't stand the Apostle Paul, but simply equate the Christian message with social justice, humanitarian effort, and tolerance and love and acceptance for all. Of course, that gives wonderful opportunity to go out into the world with the admiration of everybody and no offense from anyone and no rejection from anyone. It's a smooth ride. And all of that is what gives today's text such pungency and power. Jesus has a wonderful opportunity And he does to do something nice for this lame man, remember? Heals him. He's been there. Nobody's there to help him. Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. The guy's instantly healed. He has his life back. And then Jesus blows it by agitating all the leaders with this doctrinal bluntness and talk about eternal judgment I mean, he heals in a way that seems intentionally inflammatory on the Sabbath. Just come back after sundown and heal the guy. Why not? And then on top of this, he speaks to these Jewish leaders in a way that seems to totally ignore what he knew to be their religious hot buttons. He seems so unashamed to argue with these monotheists about his own deity, his unique relationship with the Father, making it hard to avoid that razor-edged conclusion that either Jesus got his approach wrong in speaking to his own cultural setting, or maybe we're not as much like Jesus in our approach as we think. Point number one. Jesus' work is ongoing just as the Father's work is ongoing. I want to talk about that. Proving the Son's work is just like the Father's. It's in verses 15 to 18. The man, the healed man, went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. 
this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Okay, so we know that. Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This, that statement right there, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, that's with the healing, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. There's something that we probably don't think about very much, maybe don't notice. But the only time Jesus calls his father our father is when he gives his disciples instruction about prayer. That is the only time he uses our before father. Every other reference, every other reference He says Jesus was his father. He calls him my father. And the Jews knew exactly what Jesus was saying, 18b in our text. He was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And that's what I want to look at, point number two. The sentence that made the Jews want to kill Jesus. Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. What is that all about? And then to make the point crystal clear, John adds this editorial explanation in verse 18. This is why, the previous sentence, that one. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own, his own father, making himself equal with God. Ten words, count them. Those ten words started to bring about the end of Jesus' earthly life. Ten words. My father is working until now, and I am working. What can that mean? And and how does it awaken this Jewish hatred to kill him? My father, 17. My father is working until now, and I am working. They're, They're deceptively provocative, profound words. First, Jesus makes it clear that Father God has never stopped working since creation, the creation of the world. How long has the Father been working? Well, until now. That's how the Father has been working. One continuous, unbroken stretch from the beginning of time until now. True, true, there's a pause at the end of the original creation work on the seventh day, and that work of the original creation of the world. There's that pause. But we know, if we just think a little bit, God hasn't ceased working altogether. We know that because the earth keeps its rotation around the sun, right? Babies are born on the Sabbath. Your lungs keep working. 
The cells of your created body keep growing and keep being replaced, billions of them. You don't even think about it. God blesses his people when they meet in his name to worship him. God continues to hear prayer without a pause, without a day off. He's been busy forever and ever from the beginning of time. He's never taken a break, not for one second. The Father is working, Jesus says. And the Jews, of course, had no argument with that. This unceasing work of the Father, but that was God. And this is why they're so offended at the claim of Jesus. Jesus, he himself says, works in the same way. His work isn't bound to the Sabbath day. His work isn't shut down. Like the Father in heaven, the divine Son is never merely idle. He works the works of God in the same way that his Father works the works of God. And these Jewish leaders couldn't get their head around that. The New Testament resounds with that message. He, this is talking about Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Look at, here's what he does right now. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Wow. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, the majesty on high. It's one of the things Jesus does right now on an ongoing basis. The text says he's, he keeps the whole universe running. Think about what that means. It's a colossal truth. It means the universe doesn't run on its own power. The power of Jesus sustains every heartbeat Every star, every galaxy, every rainfall, every snowflake, every birth, every death, the red and white cells in your bloodstream, the capacity of your brain to listen to this message and process thoughts. The Son of God, in his incredible, unstoppable might, the text says he keeps everything running in this universe by the word of his power. He keeps everything from falling apart. That's what Jesus was saying in those 10 words. And these Jewish leaders knew it. And it made them want to kill Jesus. If Jesus has that kind of authority, then what he says must carry weight. If that's true. If he works just like the Father works. Then he has authority. What he says about sin, what he says about coming judgment, what he says about living water, what he says about the second coming, what he says about the only way to God the Father. That's why they want to kill Jesus. Very suddenly, if what Jesus said in those 10 words is true, he has more impact than many proud people want to grant. He suddenly turns this world upside down. Nothing matters more than getting our ideas about Jesus right. Religion only has divine worth if it centers on honoring Christ, God the Son. That's what Jesus was telling these Jewish leaders, and they saw it, and they hated him for it.
If that's true, then point number three, there's a strangeness in our text. What did Jesus mean then when he said the son can do nothing by himself? Given everything I just said, it's in 19 to 21. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son, shows him all that he himself is doing. Then, he, then Jesus says, and greater works than these will he show him. He's going to talk about those greater works in just a minute. Greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Here's the hint. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. These are profound words, and, and we need to be careful. We need to be careful how we interpret them. Especially that 19th verse. Do you see it? So Jesus said to them, let me clean this up. I'll try and show it to you again. This part. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. What's that mean? First, let's look at what it doesn't mean. This doesn't mean the Son refuses to do anything but what he sees the Father doing. It's not that. Jesus doesn't mean he shouldn't do anything except what he sees the Father doing. He doesn't mean that. He isn't describing who has more power, the Father or the Son. That would be an easy way to misinterpret those words. These aren't power words. They're unity words. Jesus is telling us something profound. If we just have ears to hear it, these are the kind of words that shape the church's theology on the Trinity around the data of the Scriptures. Jesus is telling these Jewish leaders, here's what he's saying. The Son can't possibly act independently of the Father. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying when the Son and the Father work, it's never an expression of two separate wills. It's always the same will. Their wills are always in perfect harmony. There's no way for the Son and the Father to act with two wills moving in two directions. The, the, son, the son can't work without the Father in the same way you, you can't move your left eye without your right eye moving with it. That's the relationship between the Father and the Son, and that's what Jesus is saying. The Son is always the Son. The Son is both equal and submissive. That's why he's called the Son rather than the Father. But he's not less God. Think about it. Who else could dare, who else could dare to say, 19b, whatever, whatever the Father does, Son does likewise. 
What prophet could say that? What teacher, what religious leader would dare make a boast? Whatever the Father does, that's what the Son does. Then Jesus tells these Jewish leaders there's going to be a deeper manifestation of his glory that's still to come in the future. It's in verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works, greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. The greatest works come into our last point. Point number four. There will come a glorious day when every human who has ever lived will obey the voice of the Son. I was trying to think, how do you talk about this? Because church people hear this all the time about the second coming. and all. How do you, how do you say it so, so people hear it? The text is 21 to 29. I want to read it and then make closing comments. 521, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. And then this, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. That is a glaring comment about the world's religions. Five. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming. It's now here. So it's coming and it's here. It's here in Jesus. And you're going to see it in his resurrection from the dead. That's what he's talking about. This resurrection stuff, Jesus says, I'm not just talking about it, I'm going to start it. The hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the... They're going to hear Jesus. That's who that is. The dead are going to hear the voice of the Son. Those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. How's this going to work? They're going to hear the voice of the Son and dead bodies are going to come out of the grave. How can that possibly be? And Jesus says, well, in the same way that God gives life, Adam and Eve, the creation of life, what did he have to work with? What did he have to work with? Well, dirt. Because there have been bodies that have been dead for 2,000 years. And what's left of them? As the Father gives life. So the Son will give life. That's what Jesus is talking about there. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tomb, so it's talking about the bodies, right? Absent from the body we know for the Christian is present with the Lord. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the body in the grave. All who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to a resurrection of life, those who have done evil to a resurrection of judgment. I want to talk about that phrase in just a sec. This is a massive thought, isn't it? It's, it's, it's so big 
we can hardly think of it as real, not because we don't think it's true, but because we, we don't really know how to process this. How do you get your head around it? It is God's plan that we will be judged by the Son of Man. That's in John 5, 27. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Here's why the Father has given judgment to the Son. Because the Son is the Son of Man. John 5, 27. So, so just stand back and kind of marvel at the grace and the wisdom of Father God. He wills that I will be judged. I will be judged by the Lamb who died for my sins. The Father wills that I will be judged by the one who took on my own human flesh and nature to purchase my eternal life. This does two things. It, it increases hope and gratitude and there's increased responsibility in those who refuse to honor the Son and accept the Son, who died for their sins. Your body is going to be raised someday. It's going to happen. It will be the Father's ultimate way of having honor given to the Son. And I want to tell you how I think that works. Here's how I think that works. Picture the most negligent, disobedient, Christ-rejecting person who has ever lived. I don't know who comes to your mind. Pick the person who never took one second to honor Christ or obey Christ all the days that God graciously gave him. Our text says, literally, the last thing that Christ-rejecting person will hear, this side of the new creation, the last thing he's going to hear is the command, the text says it's going to be the voice of Jesus, the command of Jesus calling him out of the grave, and that Christ-rejecting person in the grave, the last thing he's going to do is he's going to obey the command of Jesus and come out of the grave. In other words, every human being who has ever drawn breath, the last thing that's going to happen before the new creation is every one of them is going to obey the voice of Jesus and come out of the grave. We know it means everyone because some will be a resurrection of glory and others it will be a resurrection of judgment. So we know he's talking about everyone. Last thing that'll happen before the new creation is there will be universal obedience to the command of Jesus. I love that. I love that. Five. Did I tell you the last point was the end? This I'm kidding now. This is really... Because there's another question that comes out of the text, and I want to look at it. God's plan to honor the Son not our works. 5, 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come up. Now here's the part. Those who have done good through the resurrection of life. 
those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I think a lot of people find those verses confusing. What are they teaching? Do, do they teach salvation by our own good deeds? It kind of looks like it on the surface. But we know we're not united to Christ by our good works. We know because Jesus said so in this very gospel that we're studying. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for Apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. If Jesus is telling the truth, if we can do nothing fruitful in God's eyes apart from abiding in the Son and His life flowing through us, then it follows that we can do nothing through our own merit to get into Christ. After all, Jesus is the one who said, apart from me, you can do nothing. The good fruit, in God's eyes, comes from being in Christ. Or in in the words of our text, the only good that counts with Father God is the kind of good that gives honor to the redeeming grace found in the Son. If my deeds don't, my good deeds... They're either in Christ or they're my own works. If they're my own works, there's a description of them in the scripture. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's not the bad stuff you do. That's the good stuff you do apart from Christ. God, Father God, looks for the life of Christ by faith being manifested in my life. Faith produces Christ-honoring fruit. And apart from abiding in Christ, even humanitarian work and charitable works won't stand. See, that's why judgment is given to the Son, because He is the Son of Man. Everything has to be rooted in Christ. I hope there's no one in this room foolish enough to try to escape the day of future eternal judgment based on the idea that you behave better than somebody else because that will never be enough that will never be enough the invitation is at the end of the book of Revelation come freely come freely buy and have all the blessings and it's it still stands come to Jesus you can't earn it you can't deserve it you're lost unless you abide in Christ he will be the one who will judge one day he will be the one who will judge we will all stand before Jesus everyone will come out of the grave now seriously What could possibly be more important than that? What could be more important than that decisive, eternal moment? What else counts? Let's pray.